0: We're in a series on the commands of Jesus. I mean, He says, if you have My command and do them, you love Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and will disclose Myself to him. So we've got to know the commands, and we've got to obey them. And so we've been looking at some commands in the Sermon on the Mount, and right here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, we've looked at loving your enemy and uh, praying for those who persecute you. But at the, at, at the end of this chapter, there's one that is very difficult to obey, to do. And we're going to look at that today because I think it's important. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, the sermon is entitled, Be Ye Perfect. How many of you, let me just start with a survey. How many of you here this morning are perfect? Anybody in the choir? Your mama? You're Susan's mother. But... She's not here this morning. Why not? Why are you being so blatantly disobedient to this command of Jesus? Obviously, we need to look at it a little more closely to determine what it means and how we can apply it to our lives. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute, if you speak only to your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles. The Gentiles is just another word for pagans or unbelievers. Do not they do the same? You, therefore, here it is, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why did Jesus command us to do something he knew we could never do? Let's bow together. Father, as we come into your presence, unfold the truths of this scripture and open them up to us and help us, Lord, to be obedient to what you're calling us to do and to be in jesus name amen well we've already established the fact that none of us here are perfect only sinless perfection was found in jesus so why is he commanding us to do something that is obviously impossible now, i mentioned on monday night a week ago that that I was a little surprised to find that in Atlanta there's a church called The Perfect Church. It's about a half a mile west of Turner Field. If you're driving down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard on your right, there's a church and the name of it is The Perfect Church. We stopped and took a picture of it. It didn't look like it was open. I guess they couldn't find any members that met the criteria. But it is The Perfect Church. But none of us could be members of it because none of us are perfect, and yet this is what it looks like Jesus is commanding us to do. Let's take a look at it. I've got a little outline in your worship bulletin because there's some things of what it is not saying. If we understand what the word for perfect is and what it means, I think it'll clear up a lot of confusion because when you hear the word perfect, you automatically think of Sinless perfection, someone who never makes a mistake, someone who never makes an error, someone who never does anything that is sinful or bad or evil, never thinking a bad thought, never saying a bad word or doing an evil deed, always doing everything perfectly in thought and action. And as we've already said, that kind of perfection was found only in Jesus and will never be within the realm of human experience. So let's take a look at it, because the word for perfect in the Greek does not necessarily mean perfect. The Greek word for perfect is teleos. Telios does not mean sinless perfection. It means to come to fruition, to come to fulfillment, to come to full maturity, to be perfected. Forms of teleos and and other uses in the New Testament refer to something that is brought to completion. It refers to fruit that has ripens to full maturity. Something that is full grown in character and in integrity. Something that is completed. That's what Jesus is calling us. Be ye completed. Be ye perfected. There's a form of this word, I looked it up this morning, that Jesus actually uses from the cross when he says it is finished. It's a form of the word teleos. It's a verbal form. It doesn't mean it is perfect. It means it is completed. It has come to full balance and full result. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. So what is this? What does it mean when Jesus says be ye perfect? It's in the future tense. And so what Jesus is giving us is a command pulling us into the future toward which he is always calling us to be complete, to be mature, to be full grown and come to fruition in character and integrity. It is a goal toward which he is always drawing us. It says, as your father in heaven is perfected, is complete, is is, is fully, fully developed. That's what he wants us to be. And so I hope it's beginning to make sense. He's not saying, don't ever make a mistake. He knows we can never do that. But what he is saying is that you ought to be growing toward fruition, toward fulfillment, toward completion. And even though we'll never reach that level, it doesn't mean that God's gonna lower his standards. He's not gonna say, well, I know you'll never reach this level of perfection. And so I'm gonna cut it back about halfway and you strive for that. No. God keeps holding out the goal, the standard. He doesn't lower the bar at all. He holds it high and He challenges us to reach for it, to strive for it, not in our own ability and strength, but in what the Spirit through us is enabling us to do. Because we've got a problem. Along with the free gift of salvation, on the one hand, is absolute demand. On the other hand, and it's difficult for us because we always veer off in one extreme or the other. We prefer to think that we can be good enough and work hard enough to earn our salvation or at least some portion of it. And so I'm going to work at being perfect and I'm just going to end up being weary and frustrated because I'm never going to attain it. But on the other extreme, we've got to assume that since we have been saved through grace, Some people assume that they can do anything they want to do and and nothing further is expected of us. But Jesus says there is a middle ground, there is a narrow way toward which he is beckoning us. Salvation is a gift that is never earned and yet we sinners stand in daily need of forgiveness. And the moment, listen to this, I read this this week, the moment we think we are good or even can be good apart from God, is when we are the furthest away from it. If you think you're good apart from God, then you're the furthest away from it. It's kind of like the best Christians I know know the depth of their sin and know how desperately they need the mercy and grace of God. It's kind of like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. The better Christian you are, the closer to God you become the more you realize the depth of your sin and how much you need him. And once inside the kingdom of God, once we are his children, there is a conversion to the rule of God that is ultimate and absolute submission. And he demands us to be perfected, knowing that we never can be or never will be, but that's his standard. Not the guy sitting next to us or the person sitting across from us, But the guy who hung on the cross for our sins, that's the standard of measurement that God holds up for us and commands us to allow him to work through us and grow toward that mark, that image of his son Jesus, who was perfect. That's what he wants from us. And so how do we deal with the imperfection in our life? Well, there are, I have actually met some folks and have read some religions that teach that you can be perfect. And I got to tell you, if you believe that, you're in serious conflict with the Bible because it says in 1 John 1, 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sins, the truth isn't in us. We're just fooling ourselves because we are all sinners. And so if someone comes up to me and tells me they think they have attained perfection or, or in a religion that teaches perfection, I want to talk to their family. And find out from their family members, what are they really like behind closed doors at home? Because I think we'll find out they aren't nearly as perfect as they think they are. So we deal with our imperfection and we repent and we ask God to forgive us and, and to turn away from repeating those same errors over and over and over again. And we strive toward that calling, of the, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that completion, that fruition, that fulfillment that he urges us toward. So what brings perfection? Paul tells us that spiritual maturity cannot be attained without continually exercising our consciences to discern what is good and what is evil. And if we want to make progress toward spiritual perfection or spiritual maturity, we need to examine everything in our lives and decide whether or not it is of God. And if it is not of God, then we have to reject it and repent of it. And the reason why this step is so difficult is because we have become so adept at rationalizing sin and deceiving ourselves, haven't we? We don't want to give up the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And so rather than acknowledging these things are not of God that we don't want to give up, and those that do them are not abiding in Him, then we create this this gray area that is not subject to the light of God's truth or the light of our consciences. And so we harden our consciences toward these pet sins. And we say, well, mm, this might be wrong. I'm I'm not sure, but I'm just not going to think about it. Or I actually heard someone say one time, you know, um, I'm not sure about this, and so I'm going to do it until God tells me it's wrong. When actually the converse is what we should be doing, we, we should be saying I'm, this is a gray area and I'm not sure if it's right or wrong, so I'm not going to do it until God tells me it's right. So if we stop and take a long look at what we're doing, we know it's wrong, we know it's sin. There's no gray area with God, it's either right or wrong. It's either good or bad. It is either white or black. And when we appear before the judgment seat of God, it's not going to be pleasant because we'll have to give an account of everything we have done. And in this accounting, there'll be no gray area. And we'll try to hide something as if we've, as we've managed to do without our lives. And it will only make things worse because we will have to end up agreeing with God that it is sin, it always has been sin, and always will be sin, and that we will need his mercy and grace to forgive us as we have throughout our lives. And he will ask us, why did you keep doing that when you knew it was wrong? You knew it was wrong. You knew it was keeping you from growing in grace, from growing in your relationship with me. Why did you keep doing it? Paul must have heard this command of Jesus He must have wrestled with it, because in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, he writes this, and it looks like it's directly addressing this command that Jesus gave of, be ye perfect. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And remember, Paul was one of the, the strongest Christians who ever lived, not just in the first century, but in any century. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but what? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's that goal. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's the goal that God is calling us toward, to be fulfilled, to be mature, to, be, to come to fruition under the submission of God, in the kingdom of God, where his sovereign rule takes priority over everything in our lives. So how do we go about doing that? How do we go about doing that? Well, it's, it's interesting. In this context, there are actually two things that Jesus tells us we ought to be doing. One of them is loving our enemies Because if you only love your neighbor and hate your enemies, you're no different from anybody else. The second thing he says is that you ought to salute everybody. If you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? If you just speak to the people you know and like, you're not unlike anybody else. How are we as Christians to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world? We're to love those who are enemies And pray for those who persecute us, and we are to speak and salute and be nice and be kind to everybody. When's the last time somebody visited this church because you were nice to them? When was the last time somebody said, you know what, First Baptist must be a great church. I heard it's a church built on love, and it's true because so-and-so went out of their way to be nice to me. I'm afraid sometimes somebody might say, I'll never go to that church because that member was mean to me or said something unkind or ugly. Let's draw people to Jesus by loving our enemy and speaking to everybody. It's a simple thing, but why can't we be more friendly, more outgoing? to strangers. Every day we pass people without so much as a nod or a smile or a word, of greeting. What's the custodian's name in the building where you work? What's the waitress's name that served you dinner last night or lunch today? God tells us we're to be the light of the world, and a light brightens up the lives of all who come into contact with it. How well are we doing that with those around us? Catherine, told me that she has what she calls the smile challenge at the hospital in Macon where she works. She smiles at everybody because people in the hospital are usually in need of a a little cheering up. So she smiles at everybody and she says the percentage of those who respond and smile back is about 50%. About half the people that she smiles at smile back. This This is something that really happened. Last Wednesday, a week ago, Susan and Catherine and I were in Disney World. And we were, why did I even say this really happened? Do preachers ever say something that didn't happen? (laughs) This really did happen. We were in Disney World Wednesday a week ago, eating at the Plaza Restaurant, which is a little sandwich ice cream shop right down Main Street in Magic Kingdom to the right. And we ate lunch there that day. And a girl named Laura, who was our hostess who seated us, came up and and entered into a conversation with us while we were placing our order and waiting for our food. She wanted to know who we were and where we were from and what we were doing. And at the time, I thought she was just being pleasant, just making conversation, just exercising that Disney customer service for which they are so famous. It's kind of strange because I didn't ever really remember anybody else ever in a restaurant coming to us that wasn't a server and just striking up a conversation. But while we were there, the mayor of Main Street came in to the Plaza restaurant. And and they had this big recognition of him and he was dressed up, you know, with all his his garb, the mayor of Main Street and He began to talk to people and he said, is anybody here from Georgia? And we raised our hands. We were about the only table. He said, and what's your name? And I said, Ro. And he came over to our table and he said, these people are the 100th guest of the Plaza restaurant for lunch today and they're gonna get free desserts. And I looked at Susan because if you know Disney World, there ain't nothing free (laughs) in Disney World. And so we enjoyed our desserts and um, as we were leaving, my curiosity got the best of me. And so I found Laura at the hostess stand and I went over to her and asked, I said, were we really the 100th customers or was this just something y'all did to celebrate and to give the mayor something to do and to have fun with? And she said, Y'all weren't the hundredth customers. But she said, I walked over to several tables before hours at lunch and tried to enter into conversation with them and they weren't nice. And y'all were the first ones to, to be nice, to enter conversations. She said the other tables acted like get lost. You know, I'm here enjoying my lunch. And so I said, so we got the dessert because we were nice. And she said... That's right. And that made me real happy. (laughs) And I'm always using these moments to try to teach Catherine something. I said, see, Catherine, it doesn't cost you anything to be nice. And sometimes you might get an immediate reward. Sometimes not. But why not be nice? Why is it so hard? Jesus says, speak to everybody. Not just our friends. When I'm riding to work, I like to put my hand on the steering wheel and just kind of stick my finger up at the oncoming cars. Do you ever do that? I've noticed guys in pickup trucks are the friendliest. They'll wave back. Just speak to them. Just, just be friendly. Jesus says, speak to everybody. Be nice to everybody. Draw people to him because you are the light and the salt that distinguishes yourself From everybody else. The goal is to know the author of everything good because the more we know of him the more we will know what is good and right and honest and pure and we will pursue it and we'll want to be in relationship with him. Now I know it would be easy this morning just to close now and say Well, that was a pretty good sermon. He told us to be perfect, and I'm not going to be perfect, so let's go eat lunch. Let me give you some steps to take. Write these down. Get a piece of paper and a pencil. I'm going to make this practical and apply it right now. Number one. You don't have to write the question down. Just think about it. What are some things that God has brought to mind during this service that you know are wrong and must be removed from your life? What are some things you're doing that you know are wrong that aren't pleasing to God and must be removed from your life? Number two, how can you exhibit a Christ-like spirit by how you greet others? How can you exhibit Christ by how you greet and speak and relate to others I can't do that brother Wayne I'm just in a hurry and I'm just saying hi and bye to no you can look them in the eye and take their hand and care how can you exhibit a Christ like spirit by how you greet others number three how can you widen your sphere of love by including others in your group I know that's hard, particularly for youth who get so cliquish. And when a new youth comes into ninth grade or 10th grade Sunday school or comes into Joy Explosion, you know, I ask the other youth in there, go and speak to them and and welcome them and introduce yourself. But it's so difficult at that age. And when that stranger comes in, there's nothing more they want than just a friendly greeting or a hello or a welcome. And it's not just with youth, it's with adults too. When someone new comes into your Sunday school class or at work or your class at school or into your neighborhood, what do you do to greet them and enlarge your circle for Christ? And the fourth thing, and this is probably the hardest, how much time are you spending daily with God in His Word to sanctify and cleanse your heart? From all iniquity. How much time are you spending with God to sanctify and cleanse? How do you quicken your conscience? How do you cleanse your heart? Spend time with God in his word and in prayer. And it will cleanse you. It will, it will soften your heart. And you'll see those areas that displease God that are contrary to his will. And then through his spirit give you the strength to forsake them forsake. Be ye perfected. Be ye complete, even as your Father in heaven is complete. I forgot to tell you this, the Greek word teleos, we get a lot of words in English from it. Telescope, telephone. What else? Television, what do those things do? They take you the distance to the destination where you can be with them. That's what be ye perfect is. It takes us the distance to be with God. Be ye perfected as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's bow together. God, the challenge... Is overwhelming and we can never attain it but you don't lower the bar you don't lower the standard you say be perfected as Jesus was and so we find ourselves like Paul saying not that I have already attained or have already been made perfect but I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead the high calling of God Which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we want and that's what we long for. And that's the command you give us. And so help us obey, realizing we can't do it on our own. And because we can't do it on our own, we can't just throw in the towel and say, I give up either. But we continue the struggle, we continue the relationship. We continue to strain forward to your high calling you have placed upon us through Christ Jesus our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.